You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. So, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 3, we'll read down to verse 11. Paul says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. Both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all affection of Jesus Christ. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Let's pray together one more time. Father, thank you so much that what we just sing about, um, it's true. Um, It is the ultimate reality. And we need you through your Holy Spirit to drive these truths even deeper into our hearts as we come now and we interact with you through your scriptures. I pray for anybody here who maybe does not know you or some who have wondered from you, who no matter how they came in today, that we will all encounter you as you really are and that we will leave transformed more into your likeness. And it is in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. On Friday, I was reading an online ladies' magazine. And um, it's been that kind of week. And um, this magazine is called All Women's Talk Magazine. And on this specific article that I was reading, it had five helpful tips for dealing with loneliness. Are you ready? Five helpful tips for dealing with loneliness. Tip number one, it's called the pillow pal. If you've ever watched How I Met Your Mother, you've seen Lily and Marsh the Pillow. A pillow that wears her husband's clothes and cologne. A pillow that sleeps with her and has romantic dinners together. What's stopping you from trying the same? (laughs) Tip number two, tea party. Hey, it worked when you were a kid. Gathering some stuffed animals and imaginary friends around a tea party may just be the thing that you need to rid you of your loneliness. Number three, chocolate. Step one. Did I just get an amen from somebody? Step one, buy as much chocolate as you can fit into your basket. Step two, eat as much chocolate as you can fit into your belly. Listen to this. It is a proven scientific fact that chocolate can make you smile more than a man. So, if you can't get a real kiss, why not try a Hershey kiss? Tip number four, get married. Find someone special and propose. There are plenty of places out there that will make your union legal without asking lots of questions. So, why not get married now rather than wait till later? Everyone knows you can't be lonely and be in a relationship, right? Number five, move away. If you think you're lonely now, move to a town where you do not know anyone. If you think you're lonely now, moving away can help you appreciate the relationships you have. When you finally can't take any more, move back and you'll never experience loneliness again. Thank you, Women's Talk Magazine. (laughs) 
despite the fact that in many ways we are more connected than ever before through things like cell phones and social media, Americans are by and large more disconnected and lonely than ever before. In fact, a survey performed by the Harris Poll in 2016 said of the 2,000 Americans that were polled, 72% of Americans experience loneliness. 72%. Of the 72%, one-third of them said they experienced loneliness on a weekly basis. This is why many psychologists and sociologists have now labeled this time period as the age of loneliness. We all tend to experience it on one level or another. The question is, why? Uh, why are we experiencing so much loneliness, and what exactly do we do about it? And in order for you to know uh, how this came about, I think it's important that you understand the character of God. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, as I've actually preached, I think, two sermons in the past year on this specific thing. But as a way of recap, what you need to know is that when you read the story of God, what it tells us is that we were created by a relational God. God has existed as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect relationship with one another from eternity past. And when he created us, he created us in his image, which means he created us as relational beings. No matter who you are, whether you're introverted or extroverted, whether you think you like people or don't like people, just as a fish was made for water, you as a human being, you're made for relationships. That's what we learn whenever the Bible says we are created in the image of God. So uh, the problem is when you get to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve really just kind of blow this for all of us. Because what happens in Genesis 3 is they eat from a tree they're not supposed to eat from, and immediately sin enters into the picture and it fractures everything. And with sin came these three things that really create major opposition in our relationships. With sin came shame, came guilt, and it came fear. These three things often keep us from experiencing the relationships we are intended to experience with God and with one another. And what we typically try to do then is because sin has created this feeling of loneliness in all people in all places, is we try to numb our pain in one of two ways. For some of us, we uh, go to workaholism. Um, if you are someone that moves to workaholism, you're somebody who you always try to stay busy. And whenever you work your 8 to 5 job, you come home and then you just stay busy. You keep tinkering with something in the shed. You clean the house. I mean, you just keep moving all the time. And that is your way of maybe dealing with the pain of not actually focusing in on the relationships that you were created to experience. For other people, they don't run to workaholism. They run to consumerism. Uh, this is the person, right, who tries to numb their pain by consuming as much Netflix or as much porn or pills or alcohol, right, or, or food that they can possibly take in in order to try to numb the pain of loneliness that they are experiencing. Whether you run to workaholism or consumerism, what we discover today is though it will numb your pain for a season, listen, the pain's always going to come back. It's always going to come back. And so the question is, what exactly do we do about it? What exactly are we going to do? Since we all deal with loneliness on one level or another, what's the answer to our loneliness problem? And fortunately, Paul answers this for us in Philippians chapter 1. So if you look back with me, starting in verse 3, just to set this up for you again to make sure we're all on the same page, the book of Philippians, it's written by Paul to the church of Philippi, a church that he had planted 10 years prior, but now Paul is back in prison. And here's what you need to keep in mind. This man who's writing this letter should be, by all accounts, absolutely depressed. 
Because when you look at Paul's life, there's nothing that he has that we often look to to cure our loneliness. Paul has no wife. He has no kids, no grandkids, no home, no hometown, no home church. He's not living in close proximity to any of his friends. He's actually facing what could be death for preaching the gospel. And he could start this letter any way that he wanted to start it. And here's what he says. Verse 3. I, Paul, thank my God in all remembrance of you. This is coming from a Jewish man with a Jewish background writing to a non-Jewish people who historically Jews would want nothing to do with. If you remember last week when Paul started his church, who was his core group? You remember? It was an Asian fashion designer who was like the CEO of her own fashion empire. It was a, a Greek slave girl who was demon-possessed when he met her. And it was a Philippian jailer who was an ex-military soldier who struggled with bitterness. That's his core group. And Paul writes to these people and those in the church, and he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I don't know about you, but when I get an email or a text... It usually doesn't start this way. It usually starts with, hey, bro, dot, dot, dot. I, I don't think I've ever even talked this way. Maybe to my wife. Actually, I think to my wife, when we were dating back and we wanted to spend like every waking moment with one another, I literally bought her a card, a Hallmark card that said on it, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. But other than that, I've never spoken that way to anyone. Paul feels this way about the entire church of Philippi. And why does he feel this way? Why does he sit there in prison with such strong affections for them? Well, he goes on and he says this, verse 3, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you making my prayer with joy. So there he is talking about joy in the midst of this lonely situation. And here's why I have thankfulness. Here's why I have joy. Because, verse 5, of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's sitting in prison. In many ways, he has lost it all. But he says, I have joy in my heart. And you know why? He said, because we have a partnership that we share in the gospel. He says, I have joy in my heart. In the midst of what would seem like a joyless situation. Because I sit here and I think about and I meditate on the truth that because of Christ, we are now partnering together from now until all eternity. Therefore, Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. When I first became a Christian... One of the first things that I prayed for was gospel partnerships. I was 20 years old. My dad had told me my whole life, he said, Son, you show me the people you're running with, and I'll show you either the man you are or the man you will become. And so your friends make or break you, right? And so I remember thinking, okay, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I need to, know, I need to find some of the people who want to follow Jesus with me. And so I got on my Hotmail account, jaredap at hotmail.com, still remember the handle, and I shot out an email to everybody on my friends list and just said, Hey, I know this seems weird. I'm going to start following Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus with me, let's follow Jesus together. One person responded, a guy by the name of Matt Sutton. I'm still friends with today. Matter of fact, my wife and I hung out with him and his wife at the lake. At, uh, there's a family church that has a lake house we stayed at, and we, 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 we hung out with them there, and so we're still friends. But he contacted me and said, man, I want to follow Jesus with you. So we started going through Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. We just went to Lifeway or, or Lantern Bookstore. I think it's like the number one selling book at the time. So we just grabbed it, you know. We went through that together. We started reading the Bible together. Eventually, we invited other Christians or other college students to come and learn about Jesus, and we started a gospel partnership. 
And through this college ministry that we started, we developed other gospel partnerships. Matt and Hannah Jackson, who are members of our church today and lead a missional community, they came in. I got to know them early on, right? And we partnered together for the gospel. And listen, over the years, it was these people that really sustained me through the highs and the lows of my life. When I moved off to Louisville, Kentucky, and I didn't know a soul in Louisville, and I was living on the third floor of Manly Hall, and I was the only American on the entire floor, you think I didn't feel lonely? I mean, I felt incredibly lonely. I didn't hardly, I couldn't even speak the language with the people that were up there. I mean, I, I didn't know anyone, and it was while I was in Louisville experiencing loneliness that could have led me to despair, I actually experienced joy as these people in these gospel partnerships would come, and they would visit me, and they would encourage me to continue on in the life that God has called me to. Gospel partnerships are incredibly important. One of the reasons that we actually adopted the name fellowship for our church is because of what Paul's talking about here. The Greek word that he actually uses for partnership is the word koinonia, which literally can be translated as fellowship. And it's not a fellowship that we have because like, we like the same sports team or we have the same personality, or our kids are in the same stage of life. No, this is a fellowship that is actually an unbreakable fellowship that is formed around Jesus, around who he is and what he's done and the mission that he has now called us on together. I love the fact that if you look around this room, what you would actually discover if you start peeling back some layers and getting into each other's lives is we have people all over the map in here today. Did you realize that? I mean, we have people in here who like to watch the Chicago Cubs and listen to Nickelback. <laughs> we have others who like watching the St. Louis Cardinals and listen to the bands like Young the Giant or, if you're Kenny, Elvis Presley, right? God rest his soul. Um, <laughs> some of you in here, you do not like sports or music at all. And honestly, I don't understand you, right? <laughs> but you're welcome here. We have people all over the map. We have introverts and extroverts. We have black. We have white. We have people who are higher class or rich. Some are wealthy. Some are poor. Some are educated. Some didn't even finish their high school education. We have people all over the map, and yet we come together each week because of Jesus Christ, because of who he is and what he has done for us. And we should celebrate that today. This is no small thing. We should thank God for this. We should rejoice in this. This is what Paul is doing here. He starts his letter and he says, I thank God for you because here's the deal. Because of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ, though I am alone in this prison cell, I'm actually not alone. He says, I actually know that as I sit here today that I am unified in Christ with all of you. I know that we have a fellowship that cannot be broken. I know that though things have not necessarily turned out the way I thought they would, that we are locking arms in the mission, and Jesus is making a great name for himself, and nothing can change that. Not suffering, not persecution, not prison, not even death itself. And therefore, though I sit here by myself, I sit here with joy in my heart as I remember you. Paul then moves on in his letter, and he says, Because Jesus holds us all together, let me encourage you with this, brother and sister. Verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, my wife took uh, Wyatt and Nora, two of our oldest kids, to a vacation Bible school at another church. And um, when she left, I, I was sitting there with Moses, our, our, our baby, and I thought, you know, I'm kind of bored. I think I'm going to rearrange the living room. And so, uh, seems like a nice thing for a husband to do, right? And so, uh, 
I literally just changed everything up. I even took, we have a flat screen TV on one side of the wall. I, you know, I decided to remove it and put it on a complete other side of the wall, which left a hole in one of our walls. Um, but I rearrange it and I do all the things. I'm pretty proud of myself. And all of a sudden, uh, Megan and the kids return back home. And my daughter, uh, Nora, she's like me. She has my personality. She loves change, likes to, you know. Anyway, she walks in and immediately, I'm not exaggerating, she goes, Dad, you make all things new. I'm like, that's a Bible verse. That's awesome. I'm like, God. And, uh, and she said, you're the best dad ever. This is the best living room ever. And then like, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm all excited. And then my wife walks in and she just looks at it and she goes, oh, well, you rearranged the living room. I'm like, yeah. And she's like, all of it. I'm like, yeah. And they great. And, and she's like, well, I mean, it's all right. But what about this hole in the wall? And I was like, ah, you know, you can go to Lowe's and get a patch for that. I'll patch it up before the MC comes over tomorrow night. No one ever even know there was a hole there. Well, that was three weeks ago. And there's still a hole in our wall. Right? Sometimes we start projects and we don't finish them. God's not like that. God knows nothing of that. Paul says whenever God starts a work, he finishes it. And look in verse 6. Who does Paul say he's working in? He's working in you. God of the universe is working in you. I, I was Googling most beautiful landscapes in, in America this week, just looking at some different pictures, and I just want to throw some of these on the screen. Think about this today. The God who made beautiful things like rock pillars in Utah. Isn't that gorgeous? That God is at work in you. The God who made this gorgeous coastline in Hawaii. That God is at work in you. The God who made majestic redwoods in California, that God is at work right now in you. Now, sometimes your growth may seem as slow as those redwoods, but you can guarantee the God of the universe through the stars in the sky and knows them by name, that God is at work in you. And what Paul says, the work that he started, he will finish. Maybe you feel like everyone else has turned their back on you. God has not left you. Christian, God has not left you. He is with you. And he is not going to give up on you. Paul says in verse 7 that if you are a Christian, he says, we are all partakers of grace. Let that settle into your heart. We are all partakers of grace. You know what that means? That means there's not one person in here who did something so good that you earned a relationship with God. And if you didn't do something so good to earn a relationship with God, guess what that means? You can't do something so bad to not earn a relationship with God. None of us in here today deserve a relationship with God. Do you understand that? I don't. You don't. None of us earn a relationship with God. None of us deserve a relationship with Him. And if you didn't deserve it back then, whenever you first gave your life to Christ, guess what? You still don't deserve it today. And that's why Paul says we're all partakers of grace. And therefore, you can know He's not going to give up on you. If He started a work in you, He will complete it period. Some of you in here today, you've done some pretty stupid stuff. Amen, right? You've committed a lot of sin. You've done things that God has told you clearly not to do. You have not done things that God has told you to do. 
And maybe you are sitting here today and you're wondering, has God given up on me? Here's the answer. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Yeah, but is it possible that I've worn out his grace? Here's your answer. No. He who began a good work in you will complete it. And if you need assurance of your salvation, you want to know the best way to have assurance of your salvation? Keep repenting. Keep following Jesus. Keep trusting in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, and you will discover that he will finish the work that he has started in you. Paul says, and he starts this letter, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I rejoice in these gospel partnerships because I know that through Jesus Christ, he is holding us together, not just now, but for all eternity. And he says, because of this, this is a huge source of my joy while I sit in prison all by myself. And because Paul knows that this is a major source of joy for us as well, look what he says in verse 9. He says this, Therefore it is my prayer that your love for one another may abound more and more. The word that Paul uses here for love is the word agape. It's referring to an unconditional and a sacrificial love. What Paul says here is, I'm praying for you, not that you will love one another as the world loves you, but I'm praying, he says, that you will love one another the way God has loved you. I'm praying, he says, church, because you need these gospel partnerships, because these are the things that are going to be the source of your joy in the midst of lonely seasons of life. I'm praying that you will learn to serve one another. That you'll learn to forgive one another. That you will care for one another and speak the truth and love to one another. That you will bear one another's burdens and encourage one another. I'm praying that you will love one another with an agape love and that this love will abound more and more and more. This is not just Paul's prayer for the church of Philippi. This is the pastor's prayer for the church of fellowship here in Paragold. That is why Though we could have planted this church any way we wanted, we started with a missional community. And every single week, we encourage you, get involved in a missional community. Because the reality is, you will never be able to deal with your loneliness. You will never experience the joy that Paul is talking about here. You will never be able to love one another as you have been commanded to love one another by just showing up on a Sunday morning. It's impossible. It's impossible. And and think about it. I mean, if if I'm personally struggling with something, who do you think I'm going to talk to about it? I mean, I'm going to talk to my wife about it. I'm going to talk to the pastors because I'm in a unique situation as a, you know, compared to some of you because I am a pastor. So I have these unique gospel partnerships with other pastors where I work alongside every day. But you know who else I'm going to tell about it? Not you guys. I don't even know some of you. I'm going to tell my missional community. They're going to be the ones that walk with me through this stuff. Specifically, the men in my fight club that I meet with every single Friday as we dive deeper into our heart situations. When my wife and I need help with something, like whenever we had our third kid back in December, guess who are going to be the people who are going to bring us meals and be there to help support us? All right, it's going to be a missional community. And not just are we going to receive love, like it's in our missional community that we're going to be able to give love and help other people within our missional community. And not just are we going to love one another, we're going to love people outside of our missional community in the city. We're going to literally partner in the gospel to make Jesus known to other people. That's why every missional community right now in our church has a specific mission focus. For our missional community, it's the international families in our city. 
So, for example, God's given us favor with uh, a family from the Marshall Islands, and just this past week we went and we got school supplies for their whole busload of kids because they can't afford to pay for them. And it's a way for us to say, hey, here's a picture of the gospel. The reason we do this is because what God has done for us, right, is much greater than what we can do here. But this is just a picture of how awesome and how amazing God's grace is. And let me just tell you this, too. If you really want to develop gospel partnerships and friendships, you need to get on mission with other people. My grandfathers, both of them fought in World War II, one of them in the European campaign, the other one in the Pacific campaign, and they will tell you the men that they fought alongside in World War II are men they were closer to than any other man they ever knew outside of the war. Why? Because they were on a mission together. And when you have a common mission and you rally around that, it builds deep friendship. So I'm going to encourage you today, as I encourage you often, plug into a missional community. And listen, I know this is hard. I get it. It's, it's not easy. It's not. We all live incredibly busy lives. We've all been hurt in past relationships. We all tend to wrestle with our kids and their schedules. On top of that, some of you actually like to isolate yourself from other people and possibly because if you can be honest, you would rather construct a world that looks the way you think it does and actually face reality and what's going on on the inside. So I get it. This is difficult. But we, you and I, no matter who you are, where you come from, you were made for relationships. We all need community. We all need gospel partnerships. We all need a place where we can be known, belong, and be loved as we are rallying around the gospel of Jesus Christ together. So here's what that means. Ladies, listen. Ladies, your husband needs a missional community. I don't care how strong he looks. I talked to the man just this past week that said him and his wife had been divorced if it wasn't for their missional community. Your man is not some lone ranger exception to the rule. He is not Jesus Christ. He needs the church even beyond a Sunday morning. Men, your wives need a missional community. I spoke with a woman just this past week who shared how she's going through some stuff with her biological family that's been really hard, and she literally said in her text that it would have been impossible for me to bear the weight of this apart from my missional community. And so here's what I'm going to say, men, with love in my heart. You're called to be the leader of your family. Lead your family out of the shadows. Lead them into a missional community. Partner together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you step into this missional community, listen, don't expect it to be perfect. Amen? Don't expect it to be perfect. These things take time. Paul spent 10 years with these people before you begin to see this kind of letter come out. 10 years. Some of you won't get in a missional community for more than 10 months, even 10 weeks before you're like, ah, and you just write these people off. Sure, go visit around, check out different missional communities, but get into one and be patient as you do. Look what happens as a result. Verse 10 Paul says, as we partner together in the gospel, as our love learn, we learn to, to let our love abound more and more, he says in verse 10, you'll be able to prove what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Do you see what Paul just said there? Listen real carefully, guys. What Paul literally just said, this is God's word, not Jared Pickney. 
Paul literally just said, when you get into gospel partnerships and you stay in there and you learn to love one another more and more, it will literally make you more pure. And don't just think about, by the way, when you think of purity, that seems like, eh, it's not really a cool, sexy word, pure. It's like, you know, like, don't think of just like it makes you more moral. The word that he uses for pure here literally means it makes you finally you. You will become you, who God created you to be. You will become the man. You will become the woman that you are longing to be. That's incredible, isn't it? Not only will you become you, right, will you become more pure, but he says that you will become blameless, right, which doesn't mean sinless. It just means that that you'll develop a healthy pattern of living. And then he says you will experience the fruit of righteousness, which means you will begin to live in such a way, imagine this, that your, your life will look like a tree with all of this fruit on it. And according to Galatians 5, what is that fruit? Love. Your life will be marked by love and joy. And peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. And he says, as a result of this, in verse 11, you will then begin to live a life that literally gives glory to God. You remember last week in Acts 16, we said Paul lived in such a way that people would come up to him and say, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Can you imagine living that kind of life where someone looks at you and says, Man, there's something different about you. I don't, know, I don't know what it is about you, but there's something different, and I want what you have. People did that for Paul, and Paul says the same can happen for you as you learn together with other Christians and rally around Jesus and his mission. So that life is possible. Question is today, how do we get there? Because let's be honest, some of you have already tuned me out. You have no desire to press it. You've been hurt so much. Honestly, you feel like you are anything but energized by relationships. And so, how do we get there? Well, if you look again in verse 9, as we start coming in for a landing, Paul gives us a secret. Verse 9 again, he says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with, what's the word? Knowledge. The Greek word for knowledge here is the word epignosis. And it always refers to an intense and deep spiritual knowledge. More specifically, a deep and intense spiritual knowledge of who God is and what he has done for us in Christ. So don't miss this, guys. We're almost done. Don't miss this because I actually missed this the first four days this week as I was studying the passage. What Paul is saying here is this. You want to find joy in the midst of your loneliness? He's saying, do you want to truly experience joy in the lonely seasons of life? He says, then you need gospel partnerships. But how do you develop deep, authentic, life-giving gospel partnerships? Well, this is in verse 9. It's by meditating on the gospel. It's by immersing yourself in the love of God that is poured out for you through Jesus Christ. In other words, if you want to grow in your love for other people, you want to really serve other people, Connect with them, forgive them, encourage them. You don't need to look to yourself or look to culture. You need to look to Christ. You need to look to the one who Hebrews says, with a joy set before him, endured the cross. And while at the cross, before Jesus died for us, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what was most agonizing to Jesus 
while he was on the cross? You know why he experienced so much pain? It wasn't the physical pain, as horrific as that was. The reason Jesus experienced so much pain on the cross is because God the Father turned his back on God the Son for the very first time. At the cross, Jesus, for the very first time, felt the full weight of the consequence of our sin And his unbroken, perfect, eternal relationship with God the Father was momentarily severed. And listen, guys, that is hell. You want to know what hell is? Here's the best definition of hell. It is complete isolation from God. And in that moment, Jesus Christ experienced it. Why? At the cross, Jesus tasted a cosmic loneliness that we will never, ever know anything about unless we refuse to trust him and to give our lives to him here. Jesus went to the cross and he tasted the eternal loneliness that was reserved for you and I so that we now through his life, death, and resurrection can participate in the life of God together with one another for all eternity. Hallelujah is right. This is what, whether you know it or not, guys, I'm telling you, listen to me, we're done. Some of us are not as smart as we think we are. Some of us are looking to work. We're trying to consume stuff. We're we're telling ourselves we don't need other people. Guys, that's foolish. The Bible says we're created for relationships. Sin distorts that. Jesus came to restore that.